From our home, we often watch the Red Arrows. Without us having to pay anything, we get spectacular displays over our head. The planes often roar over us and they sometimes practice their skills for up to half an hour above us. We usually step outside as soon as we hear the roar of the engines. From below, it all looks so easy. But behind the scenes, there are hours of obeying commands, respecting other pilots, and contributing to the displays. There is no place for Lone Ranger pilots who want to do their own thing. It's exciting when communities of God's people align themselves to reveal God's glory to the world. Our call at Alive is to demonstrate what is really possible when we align ourselves with God's Word and we are obedient to His Spirit. The church is meant to have beautiful feet that walk in the ways of Jesus and serving hands that can do His will. There is nothing more beautiful than a people that are all in, who play their part to display what is lived out in heaven on earth. Have a great, great day. So we're going to take a little flight into God's Word this morning. Um, the fire exits are here and here, but they're going to be closed because if there's going to be any fire falling, I don't want to run away from it, do you? If it falls, I want us to stay and appreciate it. So there's a reading this morning, which is going to come up on the screen behind me. It's quite a long one, um, so bear with. And there's a bit in the middle. You know how sometimes scripture readings are like really good, and then there's a really kind of like bit in the middle. Well, we'll, we'll kind of go through that, but that's not the bit I'm going to be talking about. So... It's Hebrews 10, as you can see. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property 
because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You see the good bits in that and the kind of, which we're not going to be referring to particularly. So this week, it's week two of this new series, as Lucy says, and we're, we're tackling the topic of being attenders. We are all in as attenders within a live church. And the basic question I'm going to try and answer for you this morning, although you'll be doing a lot of the, the work yourself, is, if I'm a Christian, do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to church if I'm a Christian? So a little bit of background to my experience with church is that I was sent to church probably from about the age of four, maybe five. Um, There was a little gospel hall. I've no idea what denomination it was. No idea. It was just this little random little gospel hall in a side street around the corner from our house. And so our parents sent us there every Sunday afternoon. And I can remember very little about that. It obviously wasn't a sort of great spiritual experience for me, but it was foundational. I don't doubt that. And all I can remember is that we were in this, this little random hall, um, which has now been built over. And me and my little brother were that side, and my older brother and sister were that side, and that's all I can remember. But we used to go every week, and that changed when I was about seven Because a friend of mine was part of a uniformed organization called Campaigners. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. Kind of like guides, only so much better. And it's through Campaigners that I really met Jesus. And so at the age of seven, I joined Campaigners. And their um, organization was based in the local Anglican church, which was not too far away. And they had monthly um, prayer uh, not prayer meetings, parade services. And so we started going there, and eventually, I don't know how the transition happened, but all of us, all four of us, were then sent to Sunday school at the parish church. And when I became a Christian at about 13, 14, that church was just um, a thrill for me. I can't tell you how it changed from me being sent to church, never unwillingly. I don't ever remember moaning that I had to go. We just went. It was unquestioning. We didn't have a terrible time. It was okay. But as soon as I became a Christian, church was the place I wanted to be in. It changed. You know, I used to go Sunday morning. I then went Sunday evening as well. If there was anything midweek, I was there. If there was a special on a Saturday night, I was there. I just wanted to be there because church suddenly had come alive for me. Now, the writer of Hebrews is clearly talking to people that had been going to church But it describes it that they'd got into the habit of not doing so. So I just want to start by talking about habits. I'm certainly not going to reveal mine. Um, But we get into habits, don't we? Ways of doing things. And some are good habits, which seem to take ages to foster. And some are bad habits, which like a there in an instant and stay forever. If you think of New Year's resolutions for a minute, I don't know whether you make them, but if you're anything like me, it gets to about January the 3rd, (laughs) 
And that enthusiasm for a lifestyle change or something that you've been wanting to do, it's been a burning issue. You think January the 1st, new start, new hope, new enthusiasm, I'm going to go for it. And a couple of days in, and it all starts to just slip away. Because somehow we, we haven't made it a habit yet. So to consciously develop a habit, not those ones that sneak up, but to consciously develop a habit, and I'm thinking good habits here, you need to decide to make a change. That's the first thing. Then you plan a few steps that you're going to take. I mean, most people join the gym, for example, if that's what you want to do. Don't just randomly join the gym for any other reason. You then have to remind yourself frequently to take those steps that you've said you're going to take. And gradually, the hope is, gradually, 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 a shift occurs until you kind of reach a tipping point where instead of having to work at the new thing, you don't even have to think about it. I mean, for those of us that have managed to develop a good habit, you, you know that has come when you reach that point. You're not conscious of it anymore. You kind of automatically go for it. It becomes instinctive and even natural. So if we apply that to going to church, on any given Sunday morning, and I hope you're sitting here this morning feeling really smug and thinking, oh, thank goodness I was here today. <laughs> On any given Sunday morning, you have got a choice. Do I go to church today or not? Now, first thing is, that's actually the wrong day to make the decision. You do realize that, don't you? Because on any given Sunday, you could wake up and go, do you know what, I don't really feel like it this morning. Or maybe you didn't sleep very well and you're going, oh, do you know what, I really feel that I'd be more blessed if I stayed in bed. I mean, do dress it up in the Christian terms because that makes it so much better for our conscience. And what happens if, like, oh, it was going to rain in the morning, but, oh, it's sunny by accident. Um, Oh, what a shame. Wouldn't that be a, a rejection of God's blessing of good weather if I wasted it by sitting in church? Or maybe you've got another spontaneous friend who texts you and goes, oh, do you fancy doing something this morning? If church is an open-ended thing for you, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it, then you are subject to those changes every Sunday. Every Sunday that could happen for you. So a slightly better way um, is to maybe look ahead, say on the Monday. Now, I can't be the only person who on a Monday is thinking about the next weekend. We kind of do, don't we? It gets us through the week. But if you plan on a Monday what your weekend is going to look like, then you can build church in to your plans. You can make it the thing. So then if you wake up on the Sunday morning and you don't feel like it, well, frankly, I can wake up any morning of the week and not feel like the thing I'm supposed to do. I mean, those of you that are still in work, I mean, do you wake up feeling like going to work every day? I bet you don't. But you go because you've made a decision to go and they'll dock your pay and stuff. But if you haven't slept, you still have to go to work, go to school, do the stuff, don't you? Because you've made it non-negotiable. 
And then if an invitation comes through, your spontaneous friend goes, oh, do you fancy going to the beach because it's so lovely? You can go, oh, great idea, but actually I'm going to be in church till about 12.30. I mean, that's, you know, one o'clock, maybe. Um, We'll go then. Or if you're really on the ball, you can go, oh, that sounds great. Come with me to church and then we'll go on afterwards. Do you see how you can do that? The thing with the bad habit is that you don't necessarily notice that you've gone through those steps. So when it's a good habit, because you're thinking, right, from now on I'm going to do that thing, it's very intentional and you might be very focused about it. The bad habit, honestly, I mean, we say, don't we, about slipping into a bad habit. I think that's a really slippery slope. Like, have you ever been bowling and you take one, one step over that line? Have you ever done that? You know the line and it gets foot fault and and your strike doesn't count because your foot went over. Seriously, if you put your foot over the line, you're gone, okay? That's how easy it is to slip into a bad habit. You are gone. So you might think, oh yeah, I go to church every week because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to do that. But maybe there's one week you can't. You know, it could be a really good reason. You can't. Um, But then the next week... That's a bit tricky as well, actually. Before you know it, your, your missing once has become once or twice, which became three or four. And then maybe you went, and then you think, oh, that, that's turned it down to zero again, so you start again. But actually, before long, you can be someone, even somebody you never think you'd become, who has become the person who is a Christian, but doesn't really come to church. Now, you'll notice that I'm not going to directly answer these next few questions because I'm not going to be the Holy Spirit for you. I'm not going to be your conscience. I'm not going to be Jiminy Cricket or whoever it was. But what happens if you've got something that regularly clashes with church, that Sunday mornings are actually kind of like your worst day of the week? So the sport that you're involved in or the leisure thing that you do only happens on a Sunday morning. Or maybe it's not you directly, but you've got to get your kids there. What do you do? What happens if you work on a Sunday? What happens if your partner's not a Christian and actually it really causes tension to keep being away from the home on a Sunday morning? Now, this is where I'm not going to tell you what to do. There are some great examples which kind of steer you towards maybe where your thinking should be. And I'm thinking of Eric Liddell. Do you know that name from the film Chariots of Fire? And I was going to be really, really on it and um, Google it this morning before I came up, but I forgot. But the gist of it is that he was an Olympic athlete that had been picked for his best distance. But it clashed And it came up on a Sunday morning. So he made a stand that he wouldn't run his best distance. That was an important thing for him. Olympics. It could have been his only time. But he honoured God. And he he won in some other distance. Am I right? That's the bit that I didn't check. There's a scripture, isn't there, within Hebrews that says, if you're tempted, God will always provide a way out. So if you're thinking on any situation, actually, there's no way out for me. I've got no choice. Yeah, you have got a choice. You might have to make a difficult choice, but you have got a choice. 
And maybe you're saying, well, I can't get to church on a Sunday, but is it okay if I meet up with other Christians at other times? Well, funny enough, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) I'm not going to say, no, that's terrible. Of course, it's always good to have Christian fellowship with people, with other Christians. Now, you might be looking at me here and thinking, well, she's a fine one to be telling us about church attendance because I've been keeping a little bit of an attendance register and I know for a fact that Jane Clamp has not been here. She wasn't here last week and I don't know whether she was here the week before. And when I saw the topic that I'd been given for preaching, I thought, I thought either I'm the worst possible choice for this topic Or maybe I'm the best possible choice. And I'm very positive, so I'm going to go with the latter. Because the point is, having said to you how much church meant to me when I was younger, that hasn't changed. But certain things in my lifestyle have changed. And actually, I'm away a lot at the moment. I'm a writer. Some of you might not know that. And, And I do writerly things. And sometimes I don't go to church because I've been in church somewhere all day on the Saturday. And I kind of tell myself it's okay to miss the Sunday. Terrible. Um, Sometimes I'm away with my family. My mum's quite elderly now. And I go to church with her. Other times I'm away with Christian people doing things. So I can't always be here, all right? So if I can model it for you, The stage we want to get to, the decision we need to reach, if we possibly can, is this. I will be in church on a Sunday. That's that's the ground sort of foundational thing. I will be in church on a Sunday if I possibly can. And if I can't, well, God is lovely. Just make sure in all of this, that you're not making excuses for not being in church. Because some of our reasons actually are just excuses. The whole, oh, I've been so tired. I I just want to be with the Lord on my own. That might be right. But just be careful that you don't kind of like, I'll be with the Lord on my own and you spend two minutes on it or something. Be careful is what I'm going to say. Be careful. Verse 25, is that still on the screen? Uh, Can we do the first little bit of that, please? No, no, not that bit. The the scripture, no, 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 no. You need to go back, back. I don't know how to do back, you know. I couldn't possibly tell you. Is that the one? Oh, that's the one. Encouraging one another, spurring each other on. Do you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, do make sure that you judge each other about how well you attend church, okay? If somebody isn't in church, and that could be me, honestly, I don't don't need your opinion on that. Um, I'm sure some of you would like to offer me one. And nor do people need judgment. There are good reasons. Can we trust each other on that? that? There are good reasons for not being in church. And actually, if the good reason is, I'm really struggling at the moment, then what they need is your help and your encouragement and your prayers. So let's be careful that we don't kind of go, haven't seen you for a while, but haven't seen you for a while. Is everything okay? And I always find hugs kind of do the trick. 
So, why do we go to church? And the sermon notes that all the Alive locations are looking at this week suggest there are four reasons for our attendance. I'm just going to go through all four and then we'll go through them one by one. Firstly, because God commands us. Secondly, because we need accountability. Thirdly, because we need encouragement. And fourthly, we need hope. So the first one. God commands us. Now, let's be in no doubt about this. There are commandments in the Bible, okay? Very famously, there are the Ten Commandments. Under the whole regime of the Old Testament and law and people that really focused on kind of getting it all right and maybe if we got it all right, we might just please God... They turned those original Ten Commandments into 634 rules. Now, I'm really grateful for the time that I'm living in. You know, when God says that there's a time to be born and a time to die, I'm really grateful that I am living in this Jesus era where I don't have to be crossing the T's and dotting the I's and then doing it again just in case. So under the new covenant, because Jesus fulfilled the law, he didn't do away with the law, he fulfilled the law, slightly different, we have a different sense of freedom. But it's still the case that there there are things that God invites us to obey. I'm going to put it like that, because we do have free will, which I will get on to in just a moment. And a couple of verses spring to mind which convey God's heart for his people meeting together. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. His wife must have been furious. That's not in there, by the way, in case you didn't think that was, you know, oh gosh, what version is she reading from? It's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another and frankly it's it's easier to see people loving one another when you actually see them together don't you agree so you might be asking all right it says there it's a command don't i get a choice you know have i signed i said yes to jesus because he said he loved me and it sounded great and i said yes and then i discover this rule book the small print and one of them says go to church don't i have a choice Well, you do. Honestly, you do. Because the thing with free will is, and I'm not going to get distracted, the thing with free will is it's genuine. When God says you can choose, you can choose. Some of us choose catastrophic things. History is full of people that made disastrous choices, but they were free to make them. But there was um, an evening I went to, some of you might have even been there, um, the Seriously Funny Tour with Jeff Lucas and Adrian Plass. It's going back a few years, but they were at Norwich Central Baptist Church. And we went, 
And the second half of the evening was devoted to answering questions that people had submitted by text during the interval. And somebody submitted this question. Can I sleep with my boyfriend before we're married? And Adrian read this out and he thought for a minute and he said, yes, you can. But please don't. And I think that's how a lot of life is. You can. You can choose. You're free to choose. But please choose the good way. Please don't choose the way that will harm you. The way that I can't bless you. Please choose carefully. So in my opinion, I, I don't think it's so much a sin that we don't go to church. But that not going to church leaves us vulnerable and open to sin because we haven't got that community of people to do the rest of the things which we're coming on to. So point two, we attend because we need accountability. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And the commentaries I was reading suggested that actually meetings in the early church weren't so much about prayer and listening to a sermon and worship, although there were elements of that. But they were chiefly kind of mission rallying meetings. So the stirring up each other and let's stop, let's stop not meeting together, making sure that I kept that bit in, was all about, come on, we're in this mission together. We've got a great commission. How are we doing How are we doing? How did your week go? Did you manage to tell anybody about Jesus? You said last week you were going to see that person. How did that go? And it was all about keeping keeping motivation high as well as being able to pray and support each other. So instead of just saying to somebody, how are you on a Sunday? And they go, just to be clear, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Because that's the stock reply. That's in the small print as well, apparently. No. So it's not so much how are you, but how are you doing as a Christian at the moment? What are your struggles? Can I pray? Can I help? Can I keep your arms lifted while the battle rages? If you know that example from Moses. Thirdly, we need encouragement I'm convinced that's what does it. You know, it's nothing to do with the buttons they press at the back. It's all in the arm movement. It's all wrist, I think. We need encouragement. Yes, you can be a Christian all on your own. You can read your Bible and you can put your worship um, CDs on. And you can do all of the stuff that you can do here. We can. I I could go through this without you lot. I, I could do it without having to drive here first. I could. But we miss a really important thing, that we won't have each other to encourage each other. So accountability is all about checking in with each other, but encouragement is about keeping each other on the right, sorry, accountability is keeping each other on the right path. Encouragement is about cheering each other on as we're on that path. It's about the, you go girl, come on, come on. Oh, you girl, you go man. Um, So the question is there, what has God been doing for you through the week? 
well done. Did you struggle this week and overcome? Well done. You made it to church this week. Well done. I mean, I think you'll agree we were all encouraged and uplifted by Ian's testimony. By bringing that, we can kind of go, do it again, Lord. Do it again. And finally, fourth point, um, we attend because we all need hope. For most of our week, we live among people that have no hope. And the nation is going through a fairly desperate time at the moment. We might be in difficult circumstances that are really hard to keep going. But hearing each other's stories, whether it's in the main body of the meeting or over coffee or in the car park or wherever, it allows hope to rise within us that a better day is coming for us. That the God who I read does this stuff has actually been doing the stuff because somebody has told me about it. Now, in the video clip, which I thought was very exciting, and a a cut above the regular video clips, I just thought, wow, I get the red arrows. I felt quite privileged. Now, he used the analogy of the red arrows, but I was thinking of um, more mechanical means and birds in flight. So you've got that same sense of a formation that the red arrows do. You don't tend to get the, the blue and the white and the red smoke coming out the back of birds. I think they they must have been eating something very strange if that happens. But birds, when they're on long journeys, are in that triangle formation because they have worked out that that is the best way of getting across this long distance by having a leader in the front and then all of them are kind of in the slipstream. So an individual bird, you know, you're telling me that a bird can't fly unless it's in a triangle with somebody. Of course they can. I see birds on their own all the time. And birds on their own can rise up with their own flappability. See, well, it's again. Um, but then they'll catch a thermal which takes some of the effort out. And they go on that lift. But when you're in that triangle formation, even if there's no thermal, you're kind of getting one from the people that are going on. And the thing with birds, as you probably know, is that they take it in turns to be in front. So it's not the one at the front going, oh, thanks, guys, you know. It's like when when that one gets tired, it kind of goes back and, and they all come forward. So you've got alternately the ones that are striving a lot, if that's the right word, putting a lot of their energy and strength into it, while the others benefit, and then it swaps around. And this is how church should work when it's working well. We're not just sitting there, not flapping our arms, metaphorically, waiting for the leader to do it all. And um, by the way, (laughs) yeah, we're together, flying together. So this is why we come to church, and I'm closing now. This is why we come to church. This is why church does us good. Now listen to this. Even when church gets difficult, when relationships come under strain and even openly hostile, church still does us good. Do you hear me on that? The temptation you see is when things get difficult, we go, oh, I can't go. And sometimes you need that, actually. Sometimes to step back 
and to take a moment to breathe is a really good thing. It's the equivalent of counting to 10. I'm going to step back. But ultimately, being in relationship with each other means the rough and the smooth. It means the times when we're all singing off the same hymn sheet, so to speak, and the times when actually we're diametrically opposed to that person's point of view. And that's when it's difficult and ugly and painful. But I'm still going to say, and I've lived through some stuff, don't get me wrong, you know, I haven't had this blissful experience. I mean, I've been in churches where I've been the one causing the problem. I mean, I think we can all say that, actually. If we're honest, I've been the problem sometimes. But church is still a good place to be. Why? Because, as Romans 5 tells us, we also glory in our sufferings. Don't we hate them? But we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we see that category, we need hope. But actually, sometimes that hope that we're coming to church for is born out of suffering and the steps that follow it. So we just need to examine our hearts over the going to church issue. Answer it for yourselves. Am I going to church for the right reasons? Am I staying away for the wrong reasons? Are there relationships I need to repair? tricky issues I actually need to face up to instead of trying to avoid. And whatever it takes, I pledge, this is what I'm saying to myself, I pledge to be in church with my brothers and sisters as often as I can on a Sunday morning. So I do want us to um, say the salvation prayer together, but because we're doing it in the light of this sermon, Just spend a moment. Can we just have it up, please? Um, Just mentally practice this. We're going to change all the I's to we and all the my's to our. So we're saying it corporately. It will kind of be a little test of whether you're just rattling it off or whether you're thinking about it. It's so easy, isn't it? It's like, oh, it's this bit. And then you think, oh, I'm saying all the wrong words. But there's grace over all of this. If you say the wrong words, it's fine. So let's, let's just pray this together, shall we? Dear Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your grace to forgive us and your love to change us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Please forgive us for the sin in our life. We accept you as our Lord and Savior with your help. We will live our lives for you. Amen.